It's so great to see Buddy on a mission trip. Um, <laughs> I, I've really enjoyed uh, Buddy's sermon series the last few weeks as he's talking about mission. It's really important to, uh, to focus on, uh, on dialing us into uh, what our mission is. And so today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at the mission, the mission of God. Uh, I'm going to dive into the Gospel of John a little bit, but before getting into that, uh, I want to uh, greet you from my family who did not come. You know, it's kind of common, I think, when I, when I come here, people say, oh, hey, Kevin, but they're doing this a lot. They're really looking for Charity and the kids. And unfortunately, um, Charity just started nursing school, so she is uh, covered up in studies right now, and the kids have a soccer tournament this weekend. Uh, so everyone's really busy right now, um, so they're sad to be unable to come. But they're going to come the next time I come, I promise. Um, but it's just me today, and I bring you greetings from them, and uh, bring greetings from the state of Arkansas, where we now live. Our family is there. And the nice thing about being in Arkansas is that it is still SEC country, Yet, for Tennessee fans, it's not so humiliating. You know, they're, they're humble too. You know, it's like, oh, you're, okay, yeah, okay, well, well anyways, we won't talk about football. Uh, that's kind of the attitude that you get around Arkansas. Um, but we're, our family is uh, settling in well, and we're appreciative for all the prayers and support we've received and continue to receive from people in this church as we transition back uh, to life in, in the States. You know, we were, we were supported for 12 years by this church in Tanzania, and those were probably the greatest 12 years of our lives, for sure, so far. Um, it's been such a blessing, and it's a blessing to come back, and a blessing to be, to be with you again today. So back to the sermon series, uh, a couple weeks ago, I think Buddy was talking about mission drift, and it got me thinking about uh, any instances in my own life uh, where there was mission drift, and especially when he told that story, he told the story of LeBron James and J.R. Smith, Remember that, where, where J.R. Smith just doesn't know the score of the basketball game and just, just doesn't just, not just mission drift, but just loses the plot entirely. Uh, well, my mind went back to uh, something that happened to me when I was pretty new in Tanzania. It's, it's something my family calls, you know, the great sugar incident of 2007. And let me give you uh, some background for, for, for what this incident was. You know, we had been in, in country for about a year. Uh, and in the missionary cycle, you should know that you, when you initially get onto the mission field, you have this romantic period uh, where everything is great, the people are fantastic, uh, the food is so exotic, and that'll last about four to six weeks. Now, unfortunately, most short-term trips uh, are just long enough that you, you don't quite get beyond the romantic stage, right? But if you live somewhere, you get past the romantic stage and you start going through culture shock, right? And you start, instead of just loving everything, you start to kind of resent everything and you start having struggles with relationships. Those people that were so friendly to you, you start feeling like maybe they're just taking advantage of me. And you start feeling like everything is so hard. You start remembering how great it was, how easy it was to be able to go to Walmart and get your groceries all together in one place. And when you had a doctor nearby that you trusted and you, you start remembering and longing for it the way things were. Well, uh, there was a lot of difficulties in our first year on the mission field, and 
just the basics of life were so stressful. And one of the things that we had to do, of course, was, you know, there was no grocery store. You did all of your shopping uh, in open markets, and things weren't always there. It took a long time. Uh, there's a picture of one of the places that we would go, and, you know, to buy rice, beans, flour. Uh, you go to a place, and they would measure it out of bulk bags, and they'd weigh it for you. And it took a long time, and, and sometimes things were in short supply. In 2007, there is a shortage of sugar in the country. And so you could spend a lot of time trying to find sugar from place to place because you absolutely had to have sugar uh, to receive visitors to your house. It was a big uh, social faux pas to not provide visitors with hot and sweet tea. And it was just wasting so much time trying to find it. So I decided to go to the one place in town where, where I knew I could find a bulk bag of sugar that is usually in stock. And I bought a 50-pound bag of sugar you know, this, um, you know, a big, uh, what do you call it, a gunny sack of, of sugar, uh, bought it and brought it home. And my plan was actually, a lot of other people were dealing with the same issue. And so I was going to kind of divide it out myself uh, to our friends, neighbors, and sell, you know, a pound here, a pound there, and keep about half of it uh, so we'd have a good supply of sugar. Well, I get the sugar home, and we open it up. And it's just filthy inside this bag. I mean, there are these little black specks. And you would get that sometime in the sugar there, a little black speck here or there. And what it was was just kind of the burnt remains of, of the stalk of the sugar cane that got mixed in with the sugar. And, and one or two specks here or there, no big deal. But this thing was just, you know, and just everywhere. You couldn't do anything with it. If you made a cup of tea, the whole top would be floating with these little black specks. You couldn't make a birthday cake. You couldn't do anything. Well, my friend said, my Tanzanian friend said, oh, it's no problem. It happens sometimes. Just take it back to the shop and explain the situation. They'll swap it out for you. And so I decided, okay, that's great. And, and I knew enough Swahili that I felt like I could negotiate the situation. I was, uh, you know, and, and at that point is actually the most dangerous point. Why? Because you do know some language, and you do have a certain comfort zone. You know just enough to be really dangerous, and you know just enough to be really arrogant. Um, so I went, and I thought I was going to get this done simply. I would, you know, sweet talk the person, you know, throw in, you know, my, my real good Swahili. Well, I asked the person, I showed them the sugar, and I thought, well, you're going to swap it out, Right. And the response was just, oh, man, that's, what bad luck. Wow, that's terrible that the sugar came out that way. It's like, yeah, it, it is terrible, and I'm, I've got this bag of sugar, so we're going to swap it out, right? It's like, well, no, because what would we do with this sugar? You know, with sugar, we can't do anything with that sugar. You know, it's dirty like this, you know, and, and we can't take it back to the factory. I thought, oh, no, I mean, they just think that I'm the rich white guy, and so they're going to take advantage of me. They're not going to do what's right. And so I was arguing back and forth, and I said, my wife sent me here to get clean sugar, and I'm not going home with this bag of dirty sugar. And they said, well, this isn't a dump. You can't leave this here with us. And I thought, oh, I've got them. They admitted it. You're right. You've admitted it. You gave me trash sugar. Well, so, so my temper is, is starting to build up here. And this was on the, the, one of the busiest streets in town, right next to the largest mosque in town. Uh, lots of wholesale shops where people were pushing carts to deliver uh, bulk supplies. And a crowd is forming because it's not every day that you have the opportunity to witness 
a grown white man having a temper tantrum, right? And, and so the, the crowd is forming, and I decide, I'm going to dig in my heels here. I've been pushed around by every single person for the last year, but not today. You know, I, I'm, you know, I'm going to draw the line right here. And, and basically, it went back and forth, and they said, you're not leaving this sugar here. I said, I'm leaving this sugar here. I'm not going home with it. You're going to give me other sugar, back and forth. And finally, I said, that's it. I'm out of here. You can keep this sugar. Well, it was as if somebody had blown a whistle. Why? Because the crowd of a few hundred people, remember, during a time of a sugar shortage, uh, saw me release the sugar. (laughs) It became a riot. People were diving in for this bag of sugar, and everyone was grabbing at it, trying to stuff sugar in their pockets, grabbing their shirt, scooping the sugar. And so I walk away proud for about two or three steps. (laughs) You know, where where my my walk of pride has to turn into this walk of shame, because I realized I had lost the plot entirely. Uh, one, on the surface level, I was sent to get better sugar, and I was going to come home with no sugar at all. <laughs> so first of all, in terms of a, a shopping trip, it was a catastrophic failure. The bigger picture is, I went and made a, a complete mockery of myself. I showed myself to be petty, to be angry, to be unforgiving, ununderstanding, and, and, and did that in front of hundreds of people. I mean, for for months after that, I was embarrassed to go to that part of town because I thought people would recognize me as that sugar guy, right? Uh, and so, so I go home, and I realize I'm going to have to explain this to my wife, and, and this, would, this picture would sum up my wife's reaction to me. <laughs> like, you did what? You failed to just get sugar because you're upset and angry? Uh, Mission drift happens. We need to always be reminding ourselves what is our mission? What are we here for? What are we sent for? And we've looked uh, in this series, we've been looking at the Great Commission from the Gospel of Matthew. You've looked at the greatest commandments in the Gospel. Today I want to look at our mission as defined in the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John is a rich book full of God's mission. And he sums up in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 21, you get John's version of the Great Commission. So let's go ahead and put up John uh, 20, verse 21, where it says, Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus says this to his disciples after he is raised from the dead. He has his disciples gathered, and he says this to them. Let's read this verse together as a church. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. This word send or sent or sending is a major theme in the Gospel of John. In fact, from beginning to end, you keep encountering the word. It's used 61 different times in the Gospel of John. And if you read through it, you'll start noticing that it keeps mentioning the word send, send, send. Uh, Let's just take a brief survey of a few of the different uses. Uh, John 1, chapter 6, uh, very beginning of the Gospel. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. 
Going ahead to the verse that we all know, uh, you know, I feel like I should have the rainbow wig on. You older people might remember this. Uh, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And the next verse says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Uh, so first, John the Baptist is sent into the world to prepare the way for Jesus. Uh, God sends Jesus into the world to save the world. Then you have Jesus' activity himself. In John chapter 9, you get the story of, of Jesus uh, healing the man at the pool of Siloam. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. And John inserts this parenthetical uh, remark. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. So Jesus sends this man to receive his healing. Uh, later on in the gospel, uh, around chapter 14, you see Jesus with these extended periods of prayer and teaching to his disciples, and he starts talking about the Holy Spirit. John 14, verse 26, Jesus says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. John 15, when the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. In John 16, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus is pleading with, to God the Father, Send the Holy Spirit, send the Holy Spirit to your disciples. And finally, John 17, verse 18, uh, in Jesus' prayer to God for the disciples, he says to God, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Now, we could go on and on and on. There's so many examples of this usage of the word in the Gospel of John. But there's three key concepts, theological ideas, uh, that this leads us to that I want to share briefly. The first one is an idea called missio dei. Missio dei is a Latin, uh, Latin phrase uh, that simply means, uh, you can translate it two ways. The better way to translate it, the more literal, is the sending God. Uh, or it could mean the mission of God. Actually, the word missio, from where we get mission, uh, is the, the meaning of it is sending. It's not purpose. Sometimes we think mission means purpose, but actually mission means what we are sent for. Uh, so the idea that, uh, that's conveyed in the Gospel of John is not just that sending is something that God does, but beyond that, sending is something that God is. It's intrinsic to his nature. It's intrinsic to his character. We cannot understand God throughout all of Scripture without recognizing that he is a God who sends, and he is a God who is sending us. Uh, so it's key that we understand that, that sending isn't something that we add on. It's not a, a part of the church. It's not a project for the church. It is. His entire, his entire plan, his purpose, his identity is being a God who sends. 
You know, this year I've, I've watched, um, I've been enjoying being able to watch a little bit more American football during bowl season and, and these football playoffs. And, and something that uh, is kind of bothering me right now a little bit is, um, well, it's, you know, there's the victory formation at the end of the game. What's kind of driving me a little bit mad right now is, I don't know what they call it. It's not the victory formation, but it's the kneel down at the end of the second quarter. And it oftentimes is a team is down by 14 or 17, and they get the ball back, and they have a couple minutes. And you think, okay, well, here you go. They're going to they're gonna do something. They're going to they're gonna try their best, push the ball down the field. And I see them taking a knee. And I know they want to regroup in the second half. I know watching my kids play Madden uh, that they're not kneeling down. They don't know how to find that button uh, when they're doing it. But I think, why are, why are coaches so quick to kneel down? Happens sometimes towards the end of a game. You know, I see it's like fourth and one on the 50-yard line, and they're down a couple scores, and they decide to punt, and it's going to be a touchback. You're like, man, shouldn't they have gone for it? Why, do, why don't you go for it? You're going to put the other offense back on the field when you just have one yard to gain? And I realize that I think sometimes coaches, they're afraid to be blamed, right? If the defense doesn't stop them on the, when the defense has the ball, then it's not the coach's fault as much as making the decision to go for it on fourth down. I think sometimes as, as churches, we kind of get into this mentality of it's like we, we want to be in the victory formation and we want to kneel down, but the game's not over. <laughs> the game isn't over. God is sending us into the world, and his will is to seek and to save the lost. Um, It's time to continue to be sent. God wants to send us into the world. Second concept uh, I want to share is the idea of of incarnational ministry, the incarnation. You know, John 1 says, The Word became flesh and dwelled amongst us. Uh, You know, God came in a vulnerable form. As a baby, as an infant, Jesus walked the earth. Uh, He ate food alongside of his disciples. He lived life. For three years, he walked together with his disciples. Um, He lived out the gospel. And the gospel has to take flesh. I mean, it's why Landmark, uh, for the last, you know, 14 years or so, has been developing a missions ministry to send people into the world and increasingly send people into the very hardest parts of the world, like places where there are so few Christians. But, but the idea is we are not just going to rely on the internet or, or do something to, to communicate Jesus to these people. We're going to send people that are going to live out the gospel and the best and deepest ministry comes from walking alongside of people. I, w- I want to share one story about walking alongside people. It's from uh, my time in, in Tanzania, and uh, I was doing a church planting uh, project uh, with three or four different villages uh, in, in partnership with a couple churches uh, that were far from the town in which I lived. And the way it was working was I was driving out. It was about three hours of a drive on bad roads, and I was picking up a few church leaders along the way, and we were doing this project together. And there's a couple young guys uh, that were going along with me. I think on the next slide, I think you'll see a picture of, of one of them. This guy on the far side, uh, kind of clapping along to a song. Uh, his name is Fabiani and his friend uh, Marco. They were, they were 
kind of youth group guys from one church is the best way I could describe them. They like getting in the car. They like going as we would do some worship services at places where we were doing uh, church planting lessons. They like to gather the young people up and, and lead some songs. Well, as we went along, every place where we stopped to pick up a church leader, we'd have to sit and drink tea with the family. It, uh, but these two guys would kind of wander off on their own, and they'd always come back to my car smelling like, uh, smelling like cigarettes. You know, they were, they were sneaking off, and they were, you know, they'd sneak off somewhere, buy a cigarette, smoke it, and then come back to the car. And, and it started bothering me, and not just because of the whole, you know, the cigarette issue, but more so because of how they were just kind of wandering off. And I wasn't sure if their agenda was entirely pure. We're going to new villages. These are kind of guys that are uh, single guys, and they kind of like to dress nice, and, and they were impressing people, and then they kind of vanished. And we were spending the night in these villages. And that's what especially concerned me. We were going someplace and spending the night, and I wasn't exactly sure where these guys were, you know, in the evening time. And I, I, I feared that they might be vulnerable to getting into some trouble. And I didn't know how to approach the issue with them. But as I thought about it, I thought, I really want to, really want to drive this point home, and I really want to make a deeper point. And so I, I devised a setup, you know. So I'm driving back one day, and we'd had a couple days of real good church work. Um, driving back, and these were the last guys I was going to drop off. And we were in the middle of nowhere, and I stopped the car, and I told these guys, hey, guys, man, I'm really tired of driving. I just need to get out and stretch my legs. And they said, okay. I said, why don't you guys get out of, get out of the car too? Okay. Now, if they'd watch more movies, they would know some, some guy tells you to get out of the car in some totally remote place to be suspicious. They weren't suspicious. They just got out of the car. Well, I had hidden a cigarette in my car and some matches, and I got out of the car, and I lit the cigarette, and I walked around the car with a cigarette hanging in my mouth. And I, I look at these guys, and, and their jaws just dropped to the ground. And, and, and I looked at them, and I was, said, what? You guys, are, you guys never seen a missionary smoking before? <laughs> I said, no. <laughs> I said, you want to smoke with me? He said, I said, you guys got one? I said, here. I was happy to get that cigarette <laughs> off of my lips, and I handed it to them, and, and they shared this, this cigarette while I decided, okay, I've got their attention for the next, you know, 90 seconds or so. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drive this point home. So I said, guys, you guys were pretty surprised when you saw me with a cigarette, weren't you? Like, yeah, we didn't know missionaries did that. Like, well, yeah, we generally don't, but, you know, Everyone is looking at you guys the same way. We're traveling together, we're doing church work, and then you guys are sneaking off and smoking cigarettes. It's a terrible example. It's a terrible witness. Um, this is not the kind of image that we want to be portraying. You know, but that's just kind of a surface issue. And a, deep, a little bit deeper issue than that is, is just your health stewardship of your body, stewardship of your resources. I mean, uh, one day you're going to be married, you're going to have kids, and you're not going mo- to have enough money. Uh, to do everything that you want to do for your kids. And if you have this habit, you're just going to be wasting money. So, but the real heart of the issue is this, guys. And I read, I read this scripture to them. It's from uh, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, where he, where he says, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached, 
preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Say, guys, you guys are battling with the desire of your fingers and your lips, (laughs) and you're losing. (laughs) Um, You guys have a lot more battles to fight to discipline your bodies. And I was very specific. (laughs) I use a very specific word for bodies that I won't repeat here, but I was very blunt and direct with them. And I told them that I was going to expect a couple things from them. Um, One, I didn't, I wasn't concerned about, you know, if what they did with cigarettes when I wasn't around, but from the time I met them, time they got in my car, to the time I got them home, uh, I wasn't going to have any you know, hint that they've been around any cigarettes. But secondly, I said, you guys are going to stick with me, okay? We're going to go. We're going to travel together. We're going to stay together because I'm just afraid for you guys. You guys are going to end up in a bad situation, and that's just going to be the rules. This isn't me saying you're a bad person if you don't follow these rules, but those are just going to be the rules. They got in the car, and they didn't say a word. Dropped them off. Well, the next time I came through, Fabiani— he went with me. Uh, the other guy didn't. The other guy stayed involved in, in his local church. Fabiani, though, he, he followed the rules, followed the expectations. He started going to more in-depth Bible um, preparation, Bible classes that we were doing also. He became a strong church leader. He served the church at Wanaluku for many, many, many years as their preacher, eventually. Um, what, why do I say that? I say that for two reasons. The first reason is I've been waiting to tell that story until I wasn't working for the elders of this church, just to make sure I didn't get in trouble. So, so now that I'm no longer working for Landmark, I thought I could tell that story. Secondly, it just illustrates the importance of incarnational ministry. There are things that uh, people in the are learning from in response to their house fire or apartment fire that they never would have learned otherwise about God. There are things that people are learning from the as they face a very scary situation that they wouldn't learn otherwise but the gospel has to be made flesh uh, through incarnational ministry and the third point which i won't go much into is the idea uh the theological term for it is kenosis philippians 2 uh, says your attitude should be the same as that of christ jesus who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So the word kenosis is just a word that means emptying, uh, where it says he made himself nothing. Jesus left the presence of God and abandoned that Godship, that, that nature. He, he became man. He took on flesh, uh, and he didn't assume the privileges that he had as the Son of God, but rather he came to this earth. He emptied himself. He came off of his throne and walked with us in our lives. But though we empty ourselves— we do not go out empty. Though we empty ourselves, we aren't sent empty into the world. Let's look at the next scripture from John 20, verse, verse 22, immediately following uh, the, the scripture that we began with. 
after Jesus says, as the Father has sent me into the world, so I send you, he goes on to say, and with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. God fills his disciples with the Holy Spirit before sending them, before sending them into the mission field. The Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John is, is God's presence with his people. He is reminding his people, his disciples, of, of the truth, of everything that Jesus had taught them. And he empowers disciples to witness, to tell others about Jesus Christ. In this passage, too, we have this, this bracket. Uh, before John 20, in verse, John 20, verse 21, Jesus pronounces peace, says, peace be upon you. And then, at the end, after this passage, uh, Jesus starts dealing with forgiveness and empowers his disciples to be agents of grace and forgiveness to the world. So God is sending us with his Spirit into the world uh, so that we can breathe his life in the world, so we can bring peace into the world, so that we can bring grace and forgiveness into the world as we bear witness to Jesus Christ. Um, or I could say it differently. I would say exponential kingdom growth. And that's what we're really praying for. That's why we're putting missionaries all over the world, is we want to see kingdom growth. And exponential kingdom growth happens when God sends his Holy Spirit to breathe in and through us to help us imitate Jesus Christ, and as we then send disciples into the world. Exponential kingdom growth happens when God sends his Holy Spirit to breathe in and through us to help us imitate Jesus Christ, and as we then send disciples into the world. I was able, my last few years in Tanzania, were really much more focused on discipleship, and I had an opportunity to do some water well work, and I had gathered a group of church leaders to do water well work with me. There's a picture, I think. Yeah, that's um, some guys. We are working on water wells. Uh, actually, Mariah is peeking out right on my side there. It's hard to, hard to notice her, but she managed to photobomb the picture as well. Uh, this, this time of doing water well work was great because I had six church leaders, and I spent extensive amounts of time with them. But I decided early on that I didn't want this just to be about water wells, as great as helping communities get clean water was, but I wanted this to be a discipleship experience. And, and I, as, as I prayed about it and thought about it, it seemed like there was a few things that we needed to have in our DNA as a group working together. And so we just kind of made it a rule that whenever we met, short or long, we'd have prayer, we're going to read God's word together, uh, we were going to uh, have hospitality, meaning that I was going to stay with them in their homes, and they were going to stay with me in my home. And so we we're going to do our best to be engaged in one another's lives. And finally, that I, I felt like these guys needed some skills. A lot of them were rural farmers, uh, had never run a project like this before, and so we're, I was going to try to train them and provide skills to them. And these guys are carrying this on. This culture has stuck. Um, just recently, uh, the last few months, they have done water wells and planted two churches using water wells. I'm so proud of these guys and the work they're continuing to do. That culture, this disciple-making culture, uh, took root amongst them. But it, but it also taught me four things that I've tried to bring back to my life here in America. So four tools 
that I think maybe you can talk about on Wednesday night, or, uh, but I think these are four tools uh, that enable you to help have a disciple-making culture, um, to help you to make disciples. First of all, prayer. Praying for and with people. Now, I discovered something about prayer, is you can pray in a closet, but you can also pray with your eyes wide open. You can pray when you're, when you're standing next to a person, and you can just offer, man, I, I just pray that God would, would help you this week, and that God would, his grace would abound in your life, and, and I, I pray that God would help you make better decisions. Um, sometimes people might not appreciate that, uh, but I, I feel that you can be bold, and most people, Christian, Muslim, others that I've taken this attitude with have appreciated and been thankful for it. Uh, so put prayer into action. Pray for and with people. The second thing is the Word of God. Put it into conversation. When you read God's Word, don't just read it for yourself, but look for God's Word that might be something you can pass on to somebody else. I'm really excited to hear that there's a, a Discovery Bible study uh, going on here. And that's one of the key things with Discovery Bible study is the idea that, that you're going to have a word that you're going to share with somebody. Read God's Word expectantly that you've got something to share. Um, service. Serve others. People need help in life. And we have ways to serve them. Look for opportunities to serve. Get off of the throne like Jesus got off of his throne and get into people's lives and serve them. And finally, hospitality. Um, open your home to others. Have meals with other people and accept invitations that they might extend to you. You know, there's an idea in Scripture of finding a person of peace. We're looking for people who might receive the gospel and pass it on to others. Actually, those are the people that are going to spread the gospel much farther than any of us will be able to. You know, David Knowles, when he's in the prison doing prison ministry, those guys have got networks of people who need Jesus, right? <laughs> we're scratching our head trying to think of who we're going to invite to friend day, right? There are people out there that if we can influence for the gospel, they've got networks of people that are ready for the gospel as well. And, and these elements, as I've reflected on them, these are the ways that Landmark interacted with us as a family on the mission field. You all were praying for us. You guys were encouraging us through the word. When we would come back to the States, the amount of service we would receive, we stayed in people's homes, we, we used people's cars. You guys were so amazingly generous. And there's, there's one example that just touched me so much. There is, um, I'm not going to say the person's name because they probably wouldn't want me to say their name, but our, the very first Mission Sunday that we were a part of in 2006, there was a prayer list. And this person in this church kept that prayer list from 2006 and has it to this day and still shows me that prayer list and is updating it and still praying for me. Um, these things taught me about prayer so that I could pray for and teach others about prayer. Um, that's how you all sent us out into the mission field. So as we look at the Gospel of John, as we see this theme of being sent, uh, Jesus is creating disciples, and he's preparing to send them into the world. And interestingly, the close of the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John closes with a meal. Again, Jesus gathers his disciples around a table. This time, it's not really a table. It's more a, sea, uh, a, 
on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Um, they didn't have battery-powered candles back then, so there were some charcoals there uh, that were cooking some bread and some fish. Jesus invites his disciples. He's ready to pour out grace and forgiveness to Peter. So he creates this scene. He, he gathers them together to remind them again of all the miracles that he had done and all the things that he had experienced with them along the way. But he gathers them to renew his relationship with them, to extend grace and peace as he was about to send them into the world to make disciples. So we're going we're gonna to end the sermon by coming to the table. We're going to do the, we're going to focus on kind of the brackets around this scripture, peace and forgiveness. Uh, and we're going to see how coming around the table, as we take the bread and take the cup, uh, how that is God extending himself to us uh, through service, through hospitality, through sacrifice, uh, so that we might know his peace and so that he might breathe his Holy Spirit into us to send us back into our lives as changed people to be witnesses, and to make disciples. Let's pray for the cup, for the bread and the cup. Father God, it is amazing that you would love us so much to send Jesus into the world as a sacrifice, to, to leave everything he had, to come, to show love to us, and to give everything, to empty himself, and to be crucified and resurrected. For us, And as we come to this table, Lord, I pray that this would be a time of renewed relationship, both with you and also with your body. And I pray that as we take it, that we would have your spirit pour through us, uh, that this blood would, would cover us and cleanse us, uh, that we might know your forgiveness, that we might know your peace, and that we might be changed and empowered uh, to go into our world to make disciples. In Jesus' name, amen.